This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I'm your host, Maureen Dixon-Harrison, and I'm the Assistant Director of Communications and Marketing here at UC Santa Cruz's Arts Division. Sharon Daniel is a media artist who produces interactive and participatory documentaries focused on issues of social, economic, environmental, and criminal justice. She is a professor in the film and digital media department and the digital arts and new media MFA program at UC Santa Cruz, where she teaches classes in digital media theory and practice. In today's episode, Professor Daniel talks about a remarkable undergraduate class called Making an Exoneree that she currently teaches with Georgetown University. I hope you'll really enjoy this very important and inspiring conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. So what drew you to get involved with this project, Making an Exoneree? Well, um, I've been doing work about injustice in the criminal legal system for many years now, probably since about uh, 1999, 2000. And I've worked on a lot of different projects that uh, reveal the injustices of of the criminal legal system, of mass incarceration. Um, And I've always worked on these projects in terms of sort of a a structural approach. Um, I had never really worked on a wrongful conviction case-based project prior to this project. Uh, This actually started um, while I was working on a project called Exposed that documented the spread of COVID-19 in prisons and jails and detention centers from the perspective of prisoners and their families and advocates. But during the course of that project, one of my main in-person contributors uh, for information about COVID-19 was uh, Tim Young, who is a man who is incarcerated in uh, on death row in San Quentin State Prison. And over the course from the period of time I was working on Exposed, Tim uh, called me and wrote to me and I included Um, his experience as a kind of, um, you know, direct uh, sort of testimony to the failure of uh, the prison system to protect the people that it is uh, supposedly taking responsibility for. So over the course of working with Tim um, on that project, we started talking about his case. And um, he is wrongfully convicted for a multiple murder Um, He's been in San Quentin since 2006. Um, He was uh, first arrested for this uh, case in uh, 1999. It's a case that took place in 1995. And he's been incarcerated since 1999, either in the county jail in Tulare County or uh, after his conviction on death row in San Quentin. And um, as we talked about his case, I began began to think, you know, that this would be something that I would want to work with him on to bring uh, public attention and awareness, not just to his case of wrongful conviction, but to the massive number of cases of wrongful conviction. And so I, I kept talking to Tim about his specific case, which really um, 
represents almost all of the uh, common causes of a wrongful conviction from ineffective assistance of counsel to uh, police and prosecutorial misconduct to uh, judicial abuse of discretion, but also uh, the use of a jailhouse informant as the only witness really to the crime and um, and a number of, of factors uh, that uh, really you know, bring his conviction into question. So that, um, my work on Tim's case that led me to start to read over 11,000 pages of transcripts from his case. And uh, to see that one of the things that he really needs is uh, a really activist pro bono legal representation. While I was working on trying, thinking about how can I help him find um, a legal representation that will really fight for his innocence, I listened to a lot of podcasts. And um, even before I took this on as a project, I was always listening to podcasts. Um, and there are a lot of podcasts about wrongful convictions. And one of my favorites was the podcast Undisclosed. And on Undisclosed, uh, one episode, they were interviewing Mark Howard and Marty Tankcliffe, who are the professors who teach the Making Exonery class um, at Georgetown. And I really wanted them to take on Tim's case. Um, in that class, they take on five cases of wrongful conviction each year, and those five cases are reinvestigated and documented by undergraduate students um, and at the end of the uh, semester where the students do the reinvestigation of the case, they make a short documentary and uh, build a website. So I reached out to Mark Howard and um, asked him if he would mind teaching me how to teach a class like making an exoneree. And he said, well, that would be hard, but you know, why don't we collaborate? So we decided to run the two classes uh, together. Uh, they're on the semester system, we're on the quarter system. So the class at UCSC is a two quarter sequence class in order to be able to collaborate for the entire period of the semester at Georgetown. And we decided that we would sort of team the students up. So there are three students um, at Georgetown working on each case and two students at UCSC working on each case with them. So in their teams of five, uh, they're working on five separate cases and Tim Young's case is just one of them. Did the filmmakers find that racial bias contributes to wrongful conviction? And if so, how did they work to tackle the racial injustice ingrained in the criminal legal system and the modern policing methods that perpetuate this inequity? Well, yes, we've definitely found uh, that there's racial bias in the cases. The cases we have right now, there are four Black men and one white woman. Mm -hmm. um, they're in different states across the country, Ohio, uh, one's in St. Louis, one's in Louisiana, um, one's in Philadelphia, and of course Tim's is in California. Um, and 
there's clearly racial bias in policing, uh, especially in in uh, the four cases of um, the black men who we're working with. The focus of the work that we're doing at this point in time is um, to uh, try to find uh, what the flaws in the case were that might lead to a post-conviction hearing, a new trial, um, or a clemency petition. Uh, the cases are at different stages in terms of their their own appellate processes. Some of the people have already uh, exhausted all of their appeals. Some of the people are just at the beginning of their appellate process. Um, in in a lot of cases, uh, there's racial bias in, sorry, in a lot of cases, there's racial bias in jury selection. That's certainly true in the Tim Young case. Um, in his case, for example, in a jury pool of 700 people, um, there were only four black people called into the jury pool and um, two were excused for hardship and one was, uh, was um, excused uh, on a racially biased uh, pretextual uh, narrative that was kind of concocted by the prosecutor at the time. So there was no black juror on Tim's case at all. And that is incredibly common. Yes, well, certainly um, wrongful convictions generally start with um, the over-policing of communities of color. And, um, you know, the police, when they don't have <laughs> a, a actual case, um, will turn their attention toward people that have had encounters with, uh, with police and the courts uh, previously. In a community that's being over-policed, uh, like most Black communities, there are going to be these um, encounters with uh, enforcement uh, that can lead to misdemeanors, that can lead to you know, being convicted on felonies, that can um, lead to a kind of repeated, a kind of cycle of engagement with regimes of enforcement. And then uh, folks who have gotten into that cycle are vulnerable to uh, corrupt policing, to error, uh, to negligence, um, and uh, end up, uh, you know, also can be the victim of uh, something like a jailhouse informant. So in the case of a jailhouse informant being the primary um, um, evidence that the police are relying upon in order to make a case, they're actually trading um, like uh, leniency or freedom for information. And that information is, you know, most often uh, fabricated. And the fact that that's allowed is really like shocking to me. Well, I think um, part of the premise of, of the class is that um, with a campaign, a strong media campaign and public attention brought to specific cases and the issues that underlie those cases, that that's really um, crucial to getting attention to the case that will force um, officials to 
act on the case. So there are so many cases on appeal. And um, the uh, even once a, a say a direct appeal, like which is the first step in appeal for a death penalty case, once that appeal is filed, um, it's up to the attorney general, at least in the state of California, to decide which appeals to even offer a hearing for. Mm-hmm. So, um, so in the case of, of Tim Young's um, conviction, you know, he was convicted in 2006. He didn't get an appellate attorney signed until uh, 2010. The direct appeal in his case was just filed about, uh, well, at the end of last month. And um, he may end up waiting up to 10 years before even knowing whether there would be a hearing. So, you know, having media campaigns, having people sign petitions, um, pressuring uh, politicians um, to, you know, make, um, make moves on these, on these cases um, is really uh, necessary. Unfortunately, it takes an enormous number of people and an enormous amount of resources, family members, friends, community members, media, uh, legal teams to right just one wrong. And there are so many of these wrongful convictions out there. How do you think this has affected your students so far, this whole process? I mean, they, they came to UC Santa Cruz to study film and digital media, and now they're involved in this incredible process where their talent and their creativity is going towards such, um, such an incredible social justice issue. Well, they've taken on a great deal of responsibility with an amazing amount of energy. I'm just so impressed with the work they're doing and how committed they become to it. Um, this is the case for the Georgetown students as well as the Santa Cruz students. They've all been talking about how they're going to stick with their case even after the end of the spring quarter when um, you know officially they, they won't be needing to work on their case anymore, but they're developing relationships with their quote unquote client, um, the, the incarcerated person that they're uh, working for. They um, are really working hard and um, with a lot of imagination um, in terms of, you know, digging into the investigative part. Um, uh, the team, for example, that's working on uh, Tim Young's case has uh, gone down to Tulare County where the crime and the conviction took place already once for like a four or five day trip where they interviewed a lot of parties to the case and they're going back again in another week. Um, the All of our quote unquote clients call their, their student teams regularly, they're recording conversations and interviews. Um, so I, I think it's an amazing opportunity for the students. And it's also, you know, it's a lot of responsibility that they're taking on. And I, I really respect the way that they are taking that on. I think it's working out quite well. We've decided we're going to keep doing it. Um, So we'll we'll do another round next year and the next year. And, um, you know, the student teams, they engage in slightly different ways. You know, there are 
personalities involved and there's also a time difference and there's a, you know, a, a spatial difference. I was wondering, um, I was watching the videos and it seemed like so many of these people were arrested wrongfully, of course, but when they were kids, when they were teenagers yeah. and they were kept in jail for so many years. And has that had an impact on your students? Because they're not much older than these people were when they were arrested and just thrown in jail. Yes, I think the students are, you know, very cognizant of that, especially um, one of the cases that we're uh, looking at this, this year, um, Omar Hooks was very, very young uh, when he was arrested, and he's still young. He's been incarcerated for a very long time, but he's still very young, and he, he looks young, and he acts young, so they're, they're sort of... Um, you know, they're the age where they could, can be friends. Santa Cruz is a great environment for this kind of work. Um, and uh, I think it gives students a real opportunity to put into practice uh, some of the, um, you know, the theoretical and the political and the social positions that are, you know, part of the zeitgeist and the sort of ethos of the campus. Um, feminism, um, you know, uh, anti-racism, um, decolonialism, and, um, you know, the, the goal of uh, serving disparate and diverse communities and interacting with uh, the public. So a sort of it's a form of public scholarship um, as well as a sort of, you know, sort of arts practicum that engages with real world issues in a very concrete way. In film and digital media, I know we are very focused on doing that kind of work, both at the graduate and undergraduate level. For example, I taught a class for a few years in a row where we collaborated with the Homeless Garden Project and Derry Ganshorn, who's the wonderful director of that uh, project, welcomed undergraduate film students in my class who were you know, already trained as filmmakers who were learning how to make interactive documentaries. And we engaged with the, the trainees at the Homeless Garden Project who were either currently or formerly uh, unhoused uh, people learning sustainable ag agriculture techniques and getting help with uh, community resources. And uh, so this class is, I think, you know, similar to that, but much more um, powerful in its actual um, focus on not just understanding and documenting uh, a social problem, but actually um, trying to um, change the dynamic for specific people who are impacted by social injustice. Um, but also to make a broader kind of statement about what's structurally wrong with criminal justice in our community and in our country. Um, so in that way, you know, I, I think it's, it's really a perfect fit with Santa Cruz 
and for artists um, to actually operate um, effectively within the kind of political and cultural context that we have now um, in a problem solving kind of way. I really appreciate that you're doing this and um, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, well, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to have the conversation with you and thanks so much for your interest in, in this class and the project. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.